Welcome to The Art of Intimate Marriage with Dr. Jennifer Conzin. Sensitive yet frank advice for enjoying every benefit of one of God's most fundamental gifts. Dr. Conzin is a licensed marriage and family counselor, sex therapist, as well as an adjunct professor, award-winning researcher, author, and speaker. With today's conversation on the biblical approach to fulfilling intimacy in marriage, here's Jennifer. Good morning, everyone. This is Dr. Jennifer Conson with The Art of Intimate Marriage. And this last broadcast, we talked about purity. If you want to go back and listen to that, you will find it on my website, The Art of Intimate Marriage. And the purity broadcast isn't just for marrieds. It's for marrieds and uh, singles and teens and campus students, anybody looking for some direction and some biblical guidance on purity. It does go along with uh, our new book called Redeemed Sexuality, which you can, find, you can find an advanced reader's copy of that on Amazon. And then the completed final version will be available in September, Redeemed Sexuality. So I'm taking some more from that today, and we're going to discuss this kind of common term along the lines of purity that we hear today on how to, you know, decide I'm going to wait until I'm married to have sex. And so the term that I'm calling this broadcast is save yourself. So this is the term that is just used commonly within churches, within fellowships, you know, we should save ourselves for marriage. What does that mean? And how do we do that? And what if we've already engaged in sexuality and now have come to some convictions or become a Christian later in life? And we're making some decisions about our purity and how we live out our sexuality when we are not in a married relationship. So we're going to spend a little bit of time today talking about that. This is actually, you can find in much more detail in the book, Redeemed Sexuality, in the chapter, Save Yourself. All right, well, what does the Bible say about that idea of saving yourself, not engaging in premarital sex, not engaging in sexuality until marriage? What does the Bible say about that? Well, it is a question. I think it's a valid question. When people ask me, does the Bible say that sex before marriage is a sin? That's a valid question. Sometimes we want to go, of course it does. It says that sexual immorality is a sin. Well, I think it's important because people have valid arguments for, well, that word's not in there. The word premarital sex is not in the scriptures. And does the word sexual immorality also include premarital sex? I think it's a valid question. Let's look at it. Let's see. What does the Bible actually say? It was fun. Well, I guess you could call this fun for me. Last year, last summer, my own daughter called me. Actually, she sent me a text and she said she was in Africa at the time. And she said, hey, I'll read her text to you. Hey, can you answer this question for me biblically? Why should you save sex for marriage? And why can't it be experienced before instead of waiting till after? Thanks. You're the best. This was her text to me. And now, mind you, she was in Africa at the time, and I was here in San Diego, and I and she was serving at an, an orphanage in, in Africa. But I did have this, like, 
hmm, who is she asking this question for? <laughs> this actually was a secular orphanage. It wasn't a Christian group she was with. And I had this brief, hmm. And <laughs> I replied and said, so is this question for someone you're speaking with? Or question mark. And she laughed. Ha ha. She says back, it's for somebody that I'm talking with, and they had some good questions, and I didn't really know how to answer. So I found myself going, you know, I want to make sure I give some helpful ways of answering this, not just pat answers. And so I had to take my own time and examine, okay, how will I answer this question scripturally? The term premarital sex isn't in the Bible. It doesn't even say sex before marriage in the Bible. However, Sex before marriage is mentioned. At least we see it occurring in different parts of the Bible. And sex outside of marriage is mentioned quite a bit throughout the scriptures. All kinds of sex is mentioned in many different places in the Bible. Uh, let's examine what it says. So before I do that, I want to have a short caveat that for those of you who are listening, who have engaged in sexual relationships and you were not married, it's important if you are a follower of Jesus, I want to, I want to read you something in Psalm 25. It says, remember, O Lord, your great mercy and love. Remember not the sins of my youth or my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me for you are good, O Lord. You know, all of us make many, many errors. We have all sinned in many, many ways. For some reason, when it comes to sexual sin, we tend to wonder, but what about this sin? And, and we'll go into why that question comes up. But the reality is, if your background is not one where you refrained from engaging in sexuality before marriage, where you did have sex, remember that if you have become a follower of Jesus. You are a saved disciple of Jesus. Your sins are washed away. He says here to even ask him to don't remember me according to my rebellious ways. So I think that's really the, each of us has that question or that, that plea to God. Don't remember me according to my rebellious ways. Instead, remember me according to your love. James five sixteen says, confess your sins to one another. If that hasn't happened in your life, go speak with someone you trust who can spiritually guide you about any kind of the choices that you've made in your past. Become open. Openness. Satan has no power when we come into the light and when we're open. 1 Peter 3.21 and Acts 22.16. Look at those scriptures and they talk about how when you're open, then you become washed clean. When you're following Jesus and you share about your sin, he washes you clean. What an incredible thing. And then in 1 John 1.10, it says his blood cleanses us from all sin. Again, it, in 1 John 1.10, it's talking about how when you come into the light, you have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus washes you clean. So we do need to be washed. And the great thing about following Jesus is that each time we share with him our sins, he washes us clean. So for those of you listening who didn't, who made some choices, just remember God washes us clean. And now what do we do? 
or in a pure state before him? How do we live out our purity? How do we save sex for our future marital relationships. So although this is the art of intimate marriage, most of you listening might be married and you might want to share this broadcast with those who are planning on becoming married or anybody anticipating marriage sometime in their life. However, hopefully we also have some listeners who are really turning to this information for their own lives. So, okay, let's let's go there. What is God's view of premarital sex. That word's not in the scripture, but what do the scriptures say? So, well, we do have some rather blunt scriptures. I'm going to start with the bluntest. This is kind of a a blunt one. (laughs) Deuteronomy 22, verse 23 and 24 says, if a man happens to meet in a town, a virgin pledged to be married, and he sleeps with her, you shall take both of them to the gate of that town and stone them to death. Now, regardless of all the different ways the scripture is used, regardless of all the different beliefs about how, you know, being under the Old Testament versus being under the New Testament, what can we learn from the scripture today? Well, one thing that we can learn is God takes premarital sexuality pretty seriously. We see how he disciplines it in a very, very strong way in the book of Deuteronomy. Why am I starting there? Our culture doesn't take premarital sexuality very seriously, and by no means, by sharing the scripture, am I recommending anything close to what we're reading here in Deuteronomy for us today. I don't believe that's God's intent for us today. However, I think we can learn from God's heart. Why? Okay, why? Why this strong of a response to this particular sin? Well, Hebrews 13 verse 4 says, Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. Last um, broadcast, we talked about purity. So go back and you can listen to what that word right there, um, honored, what honored means, the marriage should be honored, and then the word pure there, what does that mean in the Greek? But basically, God makes it very clear here that sex is to occur in marriage, and that that's when sexuality is honored, and that that is what purity means, That's that sex outside of the marriage bed is not in God's plan. Well, how else do we know that? Look at the wording here. For God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. This is important because a lot of people, it's out there on the internet, I'm just telling you, you can go look it up right now. If you look up different views on what is sexual immorality in the Bible, and people will contend that it does not it does not mean sexual morality and other types of sex. It doesn't mean those things. Well, look at what he does here. He, he actually separates. He says he'll judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. So in other words, he's separating the word sexually immoral from adultery here, that there are sexually immoral acts that are not the wrong acts that occur when a man or woman is already married and they're having sex. There are sexual acts that we engage in outside of marriage, and the word that God uses is sexual immorality. We can therefore utilize when that word sexual morality is used in the rest of the scriptures, we can now know it includes 
any kind of sexual act outside of adultery. And, of course, including adultery, because other times uh, through the scriptures, you'll see the word sexual morality and the word adultery used interchangeably. So that's a good question. I don't think we should poo-poo when somebody asks that question, like, wait a minute, where does it ever say that you can't have sex before marriage? I think it's important that we take the time to exegetically look at the scriptures and make sure that we're answering um, with respect and with care when somebody has that question. Also, in Matthew 5, verse 28, so Jesus makes a whole nother level of explaining this clear to us. He says in 528, I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So once again, you don't have to be married to commit this would be like a heart adultery. There's no actual sex happening. It's it's a look. It's a sexual, lustful look at somebody. And you don't have to be married to commit that sin of adultery when you're looking at them. So God makes it very clear in several scriptures that the terminology about sexual morality includes premarital sex includes sexuality outside of the marriage bed. Okay, so that's some starters. We're going to look at a bunch more, but I, I want to make some points here that often even the religious among us don't know where to turn to get those questions clarified and then don't abstain from sex for reasons that, oh, this is what God wants. This is what's best for me. So they did a research study on why people abstain from sex. And I'm just going to share with you some of the reasons why. So these were religious college students that they asked. And these were the reasons that they gave. The number one reason that religious college students abstained from sex was they had not been in a relationship long enough. The number two reason was that they were not in love. The number three reason was that they were concerned with AIDS and STDs and pregnancy. It wasn't until the seventh reason on the list for women that their religious beliefs were why they had abstained. And it was the ninth reason on the list for men. This is kind of revealing <laughs> how well are we helping are young. How well do we understand, whether you're married or single, how well do we understand God's plan for sexuality where, where our heart for God would be the number one reason why we abstain and wait until we're married? So if you're listening to this and you're wanting to help somebody with this, or you're trying to make these decisions in your own life, spend some time examining God's plan for sexuality. You can go back and listen to what does the Bible say about sex on my website, The Art of Intimate Marriage. You can buy Redeemed Sexuality and read the chapter on that. Bottom line, we've got to understand that our relationship with God is integrally involved in our choices sexually. And unfortunately, that's not what's happening in the general public. Okay, so what about those who aren't religious? They also um, studied secular students. And why did they engage in sex? What were their reasons for going ahead and engaging in sex? The top reason was things like about looks. Um, their eyes were beautiful. They had a desirable body. They were just too attractive to resist. I'm actually 
uh, quoting exact words from this study. There were emotional reasons, wanting to communicate on a deeper level. It would lift my partner's spirits if we engaged sexually. So emotional reasons. Sometimes people had specific goals in mind why they engaged sexually. They wanted to retaliate on another partner. They wanted to be popular. They were doing it to win a bet. They were doing it to keep a relationship, to keep someone, to keep a boyfriend, to keep a girlfriend. And then another reason is the general idea of that there was they had some insecurity, that they felt like it was their duty. And so it really helped them feel like a better person if they gave sexually, that it was for their self-esteem, that it made them feel attractive, that someone wanted to have sex with them. And so it was for their own feeling more secure about themselves that they went ahead and engaged sexually. So you look at these different why not having, why didn't say no to sex and why to go ahead and have sex. And it really just exposes the fact that we often don't have enough of a foundation underneath us to make such a big decision. I'm going to go on here and talk about God's plan for sexuality and abstaining and waiting and saving sexuality for marriage. I do want to just mention briefly, these broadcasts might bring up questions. You can go on my website and you'll find a lot more information. All the podcasts are saved there. There's a blog there. You can buy my book on Amazon, The Art of Intimate Marriage, and the other book, Redeemed Sexuality, are both on Amazon. If you're married and you're trying to figure out how to talk about sex, you can buy the intimate marriage cards that are, yay, now available on Amazon. And uh, there's a place there for you can send me some questions. You can send me questions through my email. You can send it right to my email, jenniferkonzen at yahoo.com. My name at yahoo.com. You can send questions straight there. Also on my website, this is, just to remind you, this is a listener-supported ministry People that listen to this regularly tell me, oh, my goodness, we've needed this. This is so helpful. If you feel like this is helpful to you, to others, go ahead, go on the website, make a donation so that we can continue to provide this great need. All right, let's go into what is, for those who are not married, what is God's intention for sexuality? How do we answer that whole, should I wait? Well, in Genesis 2.24, clearly God says that the two will become one flesh. He has created Adam and then he creates Eve and he sa- and then he proclaims that the two will become one flesh. Why is this important today? Well, it's important because God wrote it, but also Paul mentions it again. It's mentioned multiple different times, but Paul mentions it in Corinthians chapter 6, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And he mentions it in a really odd way. He actually talks about prostitution and how Having sex with a prostitute is the two becoming one. And you go, what? They're not. No, that's a prostitute. That's not what God's talking about in Genesis. Well, Paul was guided by the Holy Spirit. (laughs) And Paul wrote that when you have sex with a prostitute, it's a two becoming one. In other words, something occurs between two bodies when they have sex together, even when you're paying for that sex, even when it's not somebody that you love. There's a uniting of the flesh that occurs. Hence, it makes a lot of sense, and I'm going to review this a little bit more, when Paul states so strongly to flee from sexual immorality. 
the thing to remember about that, about Paul bringing this beautiful one flesh thing in Genesis 2 and comparing it to sex with a prostitute is that that one flesh bonding is supposed to only occur in a marriage, in a spiritual marriage between two people. Sex unites us. It joins our bodies and it does that whether the person, whether you care about them or not, whether you've paid for their sex or you love them, whether you're single or whether you're married. I'm not quite sure all how that works, but the scriptures clearly teach there's a uniting of the flesh. God intended that sex be bonding and that that occur. That's where it talks about it in Hebrews 13, 4, that it occur in the marital relationship. Well, let's look some more at what Paul says. So in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 2, he says, because of sexual morality, each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband. <laughs> now, Paul wasn't married. It's a little hard to tell completely, was he ever? But we know that he he was not married. And he clearly says here that, you know what, because of sexual morality, y'all ought to get married. So, in other words, instead of having sex before marriage, go get married and then have sex. He says it a couple different ways. In verse 8 through 9, he's talking about people that are committed to being married. And he says, if they can't control themselves, they should marry. For it's better to marry than to burn with passion. So, once again, you know what? If you can't control that burning Take the burning to the marriage bed, and it ought to burn in the marriage bed. Sex should be this great conflagration of fire and fun. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 36 says, again, If anyone is worried that he might not be acting honorably toward the virgin he's engaged to, and if his passions are too strong and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He's not sinning. They should get married. <laughs> I can't wait to talk to Paul about that passage. The reality is here, he's very clearly saying, there might be some of you out there that are just kind of struggling with your person you're committed to, the person you're engaged to, and your passions might be getting a bit strong, so you need to go and get married. He, again, is making it super clear that that passion needs to occur in the marriage bed. If it's if it's overcoming you, take it. To the wedding. If he said, and let me just give you some of the wording from some other translations. It says, if a man thinks he's treating his fiance improperly. So the one I just read to you, it says that he's not acting honorably towards her. And then this one, this translation says that he's treating her improperly. And this other kind of similar says, if anyone thinks he's not behaving properly towards his betrothed, you'll hear more about this in the broadcast on purity, but this word here, uh, honored and proper, what they mean is that it's treating somebody with extremely high value that they are beyond price. So in other words, if you are in a relationship and you are treating one another in ways that are not treating them as high in price, then go get married. In other words, when you engage in those sexual behaviors before marriage, you are actually not treating your partner as somebody worthy of an incredibly high price. That's a really strong statement. 
That's a really strong statement that we need to dwell on. Are you valuing your girlfriend, your boyfriend? Are you valuing the person that you're touching sexually? Because if you really valued them, you wouldn't be improper or dishonorable towards them and engage in things that are burning. You would instead wait till you get married. It's just important to put this question about saving yourself for marriage in the right context. You know, Paul, again, he's helpful. In 1 Corinthians 6, it says, the body is for the Lord. I'm putting two little chunks together, but the body is for the Lord. So it, this this is a part of a bigger question on what do we do with our bodies before we're married, that it clearly teaches in the scriptures that our bodies are supposed to be for God. They are supposed to be for the Lord. The body, he says then in chapter 6, verse 13, he says the body is not made for sexual immorality. So if our body is for the Lord and it's not for sexual immorality, then what is it for? What are we supposed to do with it? Well, he says in chapter 18 that he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Wow, that's a really strong statement. He who sins sexually sins against his own body. In other words, when we unite our body that God made, our body is fearfully and wonderfully made, this body that's supposed to be for God, that's not made to indulge in sexual morality, that when we do, we sin against our own body, that when we unite our body in ways that God didn't authorize, he made our body so he gets to decide what we're supposed to do with that body. And when we do things with that body, and it honestly doesn't matter if we're talking about sexual morality or other things with the body, if we do things with our body that are not how God created that body to be treated, that's problematic, but especially he makes a, a really important point here that sexual sins have a unique, uh, gosh, a corrosive impact uniquely on our body because we have the Holy Spirit. If you're, if you're a disciple of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit in you. His presence is literally dwelling in your body. And when you engage physically with another body, it does a unique amount of damage to us in our spirit and in our flesh. Well, we have just kind of done the tip of the iceberg today. We're going to do a part two on Save Yourself. So tune in this next week. This is Dr. Jennifer Conson with The Art of Intimate Marriage. Thank you for joining us for The Art of Intimate Marriage. Now, let's be real. This is not a typical radio program, and we know it generates questions. If you have one you'd like Dr. Kanzen to address here on air, email her at jenniferkanzen at yahoo.com. Kanzen is spelled K-O-N-Z-E-N, jenniferkanzen at yahoo.com. We hope today's program was beneficial to you, and if you agree this unique voice should be on the air, your donations will help keep it there. To give or to get more information about the ministry, Dr. Kanzen's Center for Sexuality in San Diego, or to get more resources for improving intimacy in marriage, visit us on the web at theartofintimatemarriage.com. And for more on experiencing the marriage God designed, join us this same time next week for The Art of Intimate Marriage.